0: We are in Lesson Seven. We're going to look at the Church at Thyatira today. Now, this is the fourth church of the seven. And again, let me just kind of give you a structure, help you understand the structure of the letter. Is it's uh, it's written to someone, so it's it's like hello to whoever, it's usually to a church, and it's always to a church or to the, to the pastor of the church, and then it's a it's. From who, back in the ancient letters, you immediately, you know, with our letters we write sincerely yours at the bottom. In our letters, you have right there who it is who's writing you. It's almost like an email. To, from. So, and usually with that, Jesus doesn't come right out and say, I'm Jesus. He gives a description of who he is. Then the letter moves to a commendation where he commends them for something. He wants to praise them for something. And some of the churches he praises them, some of the churches he doesn't praise them. He can't find anything to praise them for. Then he moves from there to a rebuke, a condemnation, where he is condemning them for something. And some of the churches, they have a lot to be, deal with, and so he points out a lot of things about them. But some of the churches, it's interesting, we've already talked about one, I believe it was Smyrna, there was nothing that they were doing that God was displeased with. He then goes on and gives them an encouragement, tells them what they need to do. And then the last part of the letter is always the promise. And we'll see that in every one of these letters. So today with the church at Thyatira, we're going to look at verse 18 through 29 of chapter 2. So let's look together. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nonetheless, I have a few things against you because you allowed that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works." Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who, do not, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed into pieces like a potter dashed into pieces like the potter's vessels as i have received from my father and i give him the morning and i will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches okay let's talk about the destination first thing i want you to see is that christ addressed the pastor at the church at Thyatira. So, we're talking about the church at Thyatira. So let, me, let me explain to you a little bit about Thyatira. First of all, it was a little smaller city. It was kind of 40 miles southeast of Pergamum or Pergamus. Thyatira was situated in an area noted for uh, an abundance of crops and the manufacturing of purple dye. Now, you know, for us, dye doesn't mean anything, but back then That was a very big thing. Purple dye was a significant thing, especially because purple dye represented what? The imperial Rome. So the church was small. What we know from this church was it was a small church, but it was, if you think about it, here's a small church, but man, they're getting a serious letter of rebuke from Jesus. So here's the description of Jesus. We see this in verse 18. We see three things here. First of all, he describes himself as the Son of God. He has eyes like flames of fire and feet like fine brass. So that's first of all, what is he saying here? First, he reaffirms his deity. Jesus is reaffirming his deity. He's he's pointing out to us, guys, I am the Son of God. Look with me, verse 18. These things says the Son of God. He's, He's wanting to point out who he is. This is not just a letter from Bubba. He is telling us here that he's the Son of God. Now, what he's also going to tell us is what he's like here. So look at what he says there, who has eyes like flame of fire. Now, what does that mean? Here it is. His eyes see everything, and nothing is hidden from him. His eyes see everything, and nothing is hidden from them. Now, let's stop for a moment. I want you to understand something. When you say eyes like fire, what does that mean? pouring out of his eyes. Like, you know, sometimes you'll see pe- people try to picture, right, draw pictures based on the illusions that are here in Revelation. That's not the point. When you think about fire in the Bible, fire is always connected with what? Anybody know? I hear some mumbling. What's fire always connected in the Scripture with? Judgment. What he's saying here is that he has eyes of Judgment. He sees everything. He he examines everything and He judges everything that goes on in our lives. So everything is known to Him. In fact, if you think about it, let's go all the way back to the Gospels. Think about in the Gospels where Jesus said that every idle word will be judged. Every idle word. Now, how many of you have said something just in passing this week that you regret? If you don't have your hand up, there's something wrong with you. Maybe we've got perfect people here. If you're perfect, you don't belong here. All right, here's the thing. How many of you remember the idle things that you've said? Maybe maybe one or two, but how many of you remember all of the idle things you've said? You don't remember any of them. Okay, let's, let's stop. So this is just this week. How many of you remember what you said 20 years ago that was idle? But yet the Bible says very clearly, Jesus says very clearly, that every idle word will be judged. you understand? He's going to call into account everything about our lives, even from the way that we speak idly. Isn't that interesting? We don't like to think about that. But the reality is, is he? here's the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire. He's got eyes of judgment. He looks at every area of our life. Now, that, that's a scary thing, isn't it? When you think about that, the reality that Jesus will hold us account for everything in our life, that's scary, isn't it? Because we like to downplay it a little bit. We like to downplay things. We like to think of things in terms of, well, I'm not an axe murderer or a pedophile. I'm not cheating on my wife or my husband. You know, I'm not doing any of those things. I'm okay. What's the reality, folks? Are we okay? I mean, when he talks about that every idle word... Every idle thing we say, I mean, every mocking thing we say, will be remembered. How many of you know what it's like to have things remembered? Because remember when you fight with your spouse and you say something bad? Twenty years later when you're fighting with them, do you remember when you said this? You know what it's like, except it's going to be on a bigger scale with Jesus. Bigger scale. you know. And you're like, oh, I wish I never said that. Well, once it's spoken, you can't take it back. But here's the reality. His eyes see everything and nothing is hidden from Him. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. His feet are like fine brass. Now, what is this picture? In His purity and holiness, He will trample out impurity. In His purity and holiness, He's going to trample out impurity in our lives. See, Jesus can't tolerate sin, folks. He can't tolerate the stuff that we make excuses for. You know, it, have you ever how we come up with excuses? Like, we'll look at other people and say, oh, man, they're bad. They're doing bad. But then when somebody points out something wrong we're doing, we'll say, oh, that's just a character flaw. Isn't that what we do? I got an anger problem? I'm Irish. You were rude to that person? I'm German. We're snooty. Do do, do you understand what I'm saying? We make excuses. Uh, How many of you have met redheads who will say it's okay for them to do whatever because they're a redhead? Do we have any redheads in here? (laughs) Your sister's sitting next to you going, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So here's what I'm saying. We make excuses. Jesus doesn't make excuses. He wants to trample it out of our lives. We excuse away sin. Oh, we'll point out everybody else's stuff. But we excuse away our own. Did you understand what I'm saying? So here he is. He's, he's saying, I'm the Son of God. I have eyes like flame. I have eyes of judgment. I see everything. My feet are like fine brass. They trample out impurity. So here he's going to go on in verse 19 now. Look with me at verse 19. He's going to commend them. He's got several things he's going to commend them for. And I think this is significant. You know, actually, even though they've got some problems, we can learn some things from this church. So first of all, as always with every church, Jesus points out that he has an intimate knowledge of the church. So again, he knows everything that's going on in this church. Folks, he knows everything that's going on in our church. He has an intimate knowledge of the church. And so here's what he says he knows about them. So the first thing he knows about them is love. Christ is aware of their love for God and for each other. Can can I stop there? Let's stop there for a moment. I want you to think about this for a moment. What do you think is more important to God, to Jesus, about our church? What's the most important thing he wants to know about our church? Is it that we're an outreaching church? Is it that, that we're, you know, we're a serving church? Is it, uh, you know, What's the most important thing to God? What's the most important thing to Him? Love. Loving each other and loving God. In fact, think about it. When Jesus was asked what the, two, what the greatest command was, love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then He went on and said, upon these two the whole law hinges. So the whole law of God hinges on those two commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. And so for Jesus, what's more important than anything is that as a church, we have a genuine love for Jesus, for God, and that we have a genuine love for each other, period. Now when we talk about love here, it's a sacrificial love that we're talking about here. It's agape love. It's not an emotional love either. It's a commitment. When you talk about agape love, it's not a, an emotional thing because, you know, how many of you wake up loving in a loving mood? No, I mean, if you're not a morning person, not until you have your third cup of coffee or half a pot, as some folks say, you know, you're not in a loving mood until you get that shower. Then you've got your morning spouse who's a morning person. Hello? You want to swap them. Do you know what I'm saying? You, you can't go by your feelings. Love is not a feeling, folks. The love that he's talking about here is a commitment towards each other, a commitment of love. Let's go on here. He's going to commend them for their service. Christ is aware of their meeting the needs of others. Look, if you you come here for a while, you're going to, you're going to hear me say a lot of times that giving is more than just putting something in the pot putting something in an offering plate. You're going to hear me stress over and over again that giving and service is you looking across the aisle or you looking a few seats in front of you or a few seats behind you and recognizing the needs that are right around you and doing something about it. If God's giving you the resources or the abilities or the skills, do something about it. That's what service is. Service is not just for years we were told it's giving and let the church do all the work. Well, who's the church? We think of an organization as being, you know, the pastor and whoever. You know, give them the money and let them figure out what to do with it. You know what, folks? You're going to meet more people in your day than I will in a week, all of you together. Probably in a month. You meet people I will never meet in this town. Don't give it to me to be the responsible one. You have that responsibility. And so he commends them for their service. Now let's go on now. He commends them for their faith. Christ is aware of their faithfulness. Christ is aware of their faithfulness. Their faith in God. Here's another one. This is one that uh, maybe a lot of us need to work on. Their, their patience. Christ is aware of their patience in the faith. Look with me. Look at what he says there. I know you're patience. Another word here would be perseverance. Christ is aware of their perseverance in the faith. Usually, in the Bible, there are two words for patience. There's, sometimes it's translated long-suffering. Sometimes it's translated perseverance. And one is in, with reference to being patient with someone. You've got to be patient with the person who's irritated with you. That's called long-suffering. All right? When you talk about perseverance, you're talking about endurance. You're talking about being patient with the circumstances in which you live in, the difficulties that you go through. And so you need to ask God to help you to be patient with the stuff you're going through. Now, the first thing somebody will tell you is don't pray that way because stuff happens. We don't even need to bother praying about it. Stuff's going to happen, Period. And you just need to learn to persevere. And so he commends them for their perseverance. Now here's the one that's really interesting. Here's what he's, he's aware that their works are increasing with time. This is something that's really good about them. Maybe we should ask ourselves if this is true about us. He's saying to this church, you know, as you go on, I know the works that you're doing. Look at what he says there. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. What's he saying here? He's saying, guys, as I look at what you're doing now, what you're doing is far more than what you start off doing. And he commends them for that. What does that express about them? That as they go on, they're busier. They're more involved. They're doing more works for Christ with their life. That's a good thing. Now, let me explain to you the American attitude that I see. The North American attitude, because I saw it in Canada as well as here. We have a concept in North America called retirement. Everybody know what I'm talking about? That when you get to a certain age, your pension levels are good enough, or your Social Security cooks in, and you can just take it easy. You can retire. And so we have this concept in the church that we need to retire. I just need a kickback. Let the younger people do it. Now, here's the problem with that. It's not biblical. It might be America, but that's not what the Bible says about the church. Because here's what it says about the church. Older ones take the younger ones aside and groom them. Older women disciple the younger women. Older men disciple the younger men. Do you want to know what the retirement plan, God's retirement plan is? Anybody know what God's retirement plan is? Death. That's exactly right. When you die, do you understand? That's when God's done with you. Well, some of you may say, "Well, I, I I don't have the, I'm I'm a shut-in, or I'm I'm whatever. I can't do anything." You can pray. What does He say to widows? That their service to the church should be what folks? prayer see we all can do something so and I've been a churches. well I've done my time what does that mean first of all that communicates something that they're viewing it as some kind of terrible service the reality is is that our works and what we should are doing should be increasing not decreasing he says to this church Your works now are more than the beginning. Is that true of our church? Is that true of our lives? Do you understand? They need to be more as we grow mature in Christ, not less. I mean, retirement, I'm not going to talk about retirement out there. We all look forward to retirement. But with the church, there's no retirement. The older you are, the more you have to share. Do you understand what I'm saying? The older you are, the more you have to share. So he's saying he's aware that their works are increasing with time. Now let's get into the condemnation here. He's going to tell them what the problem is. He's going to rebuke them now. First of all, they're tolerating something in their midst. They're tolerating a woman. And here Jesus refers to her as Jezebel. I doubt that her name was Jezebel, although it may have been. But Jezebel has a connotation in the Scriptures because we know Jezebel as being the wife of King Ahab in First and Second Kings. She was a very wicked woman who led the northern kingdom into Baal worship, sexual immorality, and idolatry. So obviously Jesus is wanting to communicate who this woman in their midst is like. And so he's referring to her as Jezebel. Have you noticed nobody names their daughter Jezebel anymore? Have you noticed that? Now here's what, he, here's what he's... Going to rebuke them for Number one, they were rebuked for tolerating sin in their midst. They were rebuked for tolerating sin in their midst. He says, "Look, I got a few things against you. Number one, because you allow that woman. Because notice how she, she describes herself as a prophetess. What is that? She's some kind of teacher. She's a guru of some sort. She's she's supposedly a spiritual leader. But here's what she's doing with them. She's teaching them and seducing them." To commit sexual immorality and to eat things offered to idols. So she's basically engaging them to basically compromise their lives with their culture of their day. Now here's the teaching of Jezebel. They had a female teacher who led them into immorality and idolatry, what I've already mentioned there. So this false prophet's not her name isn't Jezebel, but she's obviously like that. Now, verse 21 is very interesting, because I think what you're going to see in verse 21, even in spite of the rebuke, even in spite of all that she's doing, verse 21, if you want to, if you want to write in your Bible, just write the word grace by verse 21. Because here you're going to see a picture of God here. Look with me at verse 21. Look at what it says. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. That's grace, man. Here's a woman who is deceiving the church. She's leading them into sexual immorality. She's leading them into worship, eating stuff that's offered to idols. She's leading them into a serious compromise. And here's what the response of Jesus is. He didn't just say, I'm going to deal with it, that woman's history. Look at what he says, verse 21. I gave her time to what? Repent to change your ways. To acknowledge what she's doing, confess it, deal with it, and move on. So graciously the Lord gave her time to repent. He gave her time to repent. Isn't that awesome? Now that's a lesson for all of us, because sometimes we look at the folks who are doing wrong around us, and how many of you have uttered something like this? When is Jesus going to deal with them? When is God going to deal with that? God, how long are you going to tolerate that? How many of you have said things like that? I have. When you look at stuff that people are doing wrong and you're like, God, how long are you going to let that person do that? You know what the wonderful thing is, is that God's gracious. That he's concerned for the one that you want zapped as much as he is for you. You say, what do you mean with me? Well, isn't he gracious with us too? Because didn't we just say we all have our issues? And in His graciousness, He's giving us time to what? Repent. Because we're still looking at it as a character flaw. You know, we're still looking at it as a personality issue. When the reality is, it's a sin. It's wrong. And so God is graciously giving her time to repent. And in fact, look here. Notice something. though. Even though she's given the time, notice... The response she has, verse 21, look at how she responds. And she did not repent. She didn't repent. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. If, do you think God knows that she's not going to repent? Yeah, he knows everything. Why do you think he gives her time to repent even though he knows that she isn't going to repent? Why do you think he gives her time to repent? Anybody? Okay, he maybe wants to teach the people patience. Okay, that's good, Denny. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, he does the same for everyone. He's not impartial. Okay, all right. What kind of excuse do you think she'll have later on? I mean, if he just went ahead and zapped her, she could say, well, you didn't give me a chance. And here God says, Gave you plenty of time. You didn't do right. You refused. You know, just so you, I kept giving you the rope, but you hung yourself with it. You see you see how God is, is gracious? I mean, no one can stand before God and, and make an excuse. Because he actually goes beyond what we would do. I mean, if it was us, we'd deal with her. But I want you to notice the judgment of Jezebel. And here I want you to understand some things. Look at with me. Verse 22 and 23. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her in great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Here's what he's saying. Christ will judge her and those who follow her. Let me just stop for a moment. When you read this, is this like a, a little slap on the hand? When you read what's going to happen here, is this a little slap on the hand? I mean, he's saying he's going to kill her what? It's, there are two, two theories there, Bruce. Some believe it's her literal children because they might be following her. And then some say it's just her followers. The reality is it's a harsh judgment. So I want you to understand something because we have a concept where we make God so much like our buddy and he, he you know he's not going to do wrong with us or you know he takes sin seriously folks and he's going to deal with sin and the, here's the thing you know I hear people all the time you know God's forgiving yeah he is forgiving but he's also chastising and He will turn up the heat on your life until you get your life right. In fact, He tells the Corinthian church in chapter 11 that some of them were asleep, that is, they were dead because they refused to do right at the Lord's table. See, when you enter into sin and you just thumb your nose at God when He tries to get your attention, the punishment increases. Even to the point where He may take you home. Do you understand? God is serious about sin. With this woman, He is serious about sin. Now, here's the reason why. When you continue on there, the next thing I want you to see there, here's the testimony of the judgment. The purpose of the judgment is to warn all churches against tolerating sin. The purpose of the judgment is to warn all churches against tolerating evil. Think for a moment. Go back with me. If you go all the way back to Acts, I think it's chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Do you you know what the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was? Do you want to know what their sin was? Let me just explain to you what their sin was, okay? What they were doing is, is I think at the end of chapter 4, it mentions Barnabas and how he sold what he had and gave all of it to be used for, ministering to everybody else in the church. Well, then you get to Ananias and Sapphira. They had a piece of property, and they sold it, and they kept back a portion of it and gave the rest to the church. But here's what they did. When they gave it to the church to be used for the needs of the people there, they said this was all the money from the sale. They, did, they kept back part of it. Now, here is what they got judged for. you remember how they got judged? They were killed. Boom. I mean, the Holy Spirit struck them dead. Here's what they got judged for. It wasn't, Peter says to them very clearly, while it was yours, it was yours. It wasn't the amount of money. It was the fact that they misrepresented what they were giving. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't that they should have given the whole thing. It was that they lied about it and said it was the whole thing. And they were therefore lying to the Spirit of God, and so therefore they were killed. Now, it's interesting. After you read that passage, there's an interesting verse there, and I, you, you, you can almost understand why it's there. It said, and great fear came upon the rest of them. Somebody got struck dead here for misrepresenting themselves. Wouldn't that put fear in your heart too? That's the purposes of God's judgments, folks. See, he deals with us, he'll deal with us, why? To warn others, to warn churches, to warn ourselves about tolerating evil. Now, let's, let's look at the exhortation. First of all, verse 24, he writes, And to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who, do not, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden." Here's what he's saying first. Those who have endured false teachings will have no other burden. Here, understand something. There was something pretty evil going on there with this woman. When you look at verse 24, she's teaching something that, if you look at what it's saying there, who have not known the depths of Satan. So obviously she was involved in something where she was portraying a knowledge that was that only hurt she and her followers had, that they understood the things of Satan or whatever, and therefore they were okay. And he's referring to that here, and he's saying because they tolerated this woman and the false teaching in their midst, he's not going to give them another burden. So that's the encouragement he gives them. But he tells them in verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come. So here's what he tells them. He tells them to hold fast until he returns. Endure. He's not going to add any other burden to them, but He wants them to hold fast. You're going to find this throughout the book of Revelation. Hold fast. Persevere. Endure. Life is hard. Stuff's going to be thrown at you. And then here's the promise. Look with me in verse 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, again, there's that endurance thing, to him I give the power over nations. What's he saying here? Christ give a, gives us authority to rule with him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, I mean, how many of you want to be involved in politics right now? Nobody. Nobody. You know what I'm saying? You want your life exposed? Just run for an office. Isn't that true? Okay. Now, so but listen. And, and politicians, they don't have it together anyhow. Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't. But one day, there's going to be a king called King Jesus who's going to rule everything. And is his rule going to be perfect, folks? Yes. Guess who's going to rule with him? Those who overcome. You're going to rule with him. Isn't that going to be awesome? Some of you are already saying, Lord, give me, give me that section over there with all the elk. I'll rule over that. <laughs> give me that section over there with all the turkey. And let's supply of turkey. Do you know what I'm saying? Some of you are saying, the Tahiti's. I want the Tahiti Islands. You know? By the way, those are not going to exist. We'll get to that later. But the reality is, is you're going to rule over nations with him. That's what he's promising you. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's, Here's the other thing. He says he'll give him the morning star. Here's what it's saying. Christ will give himself the morning star. Christ is the morning star. He's saying he's going to give himself to us. Christ is going to give himself to us. Isn't that awesome? And then finally, here's the exhortation. We are called to acknowledge what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. So again, here's what he's... Okay, so when you think about all of this letter, if God is speaking to you about something... You're to acknowledge to the Holy Spirit what he's showing you, period. Do you understand? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's he saying to you? Acknowledge it and act on it. Okay? All right. Let's close our time. Next week we're going to look at the church at Sardis.